Chapter Ten of William Again by Rick Mall Crompton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: The Great Detective. The play was produced by the Village Dramatic Society. William watched it spellbound from the front row, sitting between his mother and father. It was to him like the gateway to a new and enthralling life. He could not see why his elder brother and sister were laughing the scene opened immediately after a murder the corpse had been removed somewhat to william's disappointment otherwise the room was as the murderer had left it william held his breath as uniformed policemen innumerable moved about the stage with notebooks looking for clues crawling under the table and examining the floor with magnifying glasses the only clue they could find left by the murderer had been a red triangle drawn upon a piece of paper and neatly pinned to the body by a dagger. This, they informed the audience many times, was the mark of a criminal gang of robbers and murderers who were baffling Scotland Yard. Then the great detective came upon the scene, followed by a very bored-looking and elderly bloodhound, with its tail between its legs the bloodhound having made its appearance amid applause contented itself with sitting in the corner of the stage and gazing scornfully at the audience the great detective advanced to the centre of the stage bent down and picked up a cigarette end from the floor it had been left by the murderer the police who had failed to notice it fell into postures of ardent admiration the cigarette end naturally bore the name of the maker and yet more naturally was a blend made especially for the murderer so justice set off hot upon the track and the bloodhound yawned sleepily and shuffled off in the wake of the great detective the next scene showed the murderer moving in scenes of luxury and magnificence wearing evening dress at all hours of the day entertaining earls and ambassadors amid tropical palms and gilded pillars and waited on by an army of obsequious footmen there was also the adventurous in a low very low red evening dress smoking cigarettes upon a gilded settee the plot was rather involved there was a young man in a tweed suit who kept appearing and calling to heaven to support his claim to the villain's place and wealth which the villain himself dismissed with a most villainesque snarl there was also a simple maiden in sky-blue muslin with golden very golden hair who was generally clinging to the young man or sobbing on his shoulder while he appealed to heaven to make him worthy of her but the great detective was the real hero of the play. He appeared, always in a dressing-gown, in his room smoking a pipe and working up clues with his hand upon the collar of his amiable bloodhound, who tried to assure the audience by little deprecating wags of his tail that he wouldn't hurt a fly. The last scene was the great excitement. The villain, still in evening dress, with his background of palms and pillars, was packing to go away. The great detective arrived, tore open his suitcase, and there were his handkerchiefs, adorned round the edges with red triangles. Irrefutable proofs. Policemen with handcuffs spring from behind the palms. The young man, still wearing the young woman around his neck, appeared from nowhere and thanked heaven for bringing the guilty to justice. The bloodhound, in a sudden spasm of emotion, licked the villain's hand as he was let out, 
and all was over, leaving only the young man and young woman wringing the hand of the great detective, who was still wearing his dressing gown and smoking his pipe. William walked out of the hall in a dream. It all seemed so wonderful, and yet so simple. Probably half the people one saw about were criminals and murderers, if only one knew. You just found a clue and worked it up. It would be fine to be a detective. Of course, one needed a dressing gown and a bloodhound, but he had a dressing gown, and though Jumbo wasn't exactly a bloodhound, he was a bloodhound as much as he was any kind of a dog. Jumbo was all sorts of dog. That was what was so convenient about him. Before William had retired to bed that night, he had firmly made up his mind to lose no time in bringing some great criminal to justice with the aid of Jumble and his dressing gown. "'There have been,' said Mrs. Brown, William's mother, at breakfast the next morning, "'a lot of burglaries around here lately.' William stiffened. A little later he went out, calling Jumble. He walked down the road, scowling at the houses as he went. In one of those larger houses, the criminal must live, somewhere where there were palm trees and a butler. Of course, a murderer was more exciting, but a burglar would do to begin with. He met a man coming up the road from the station, carrying a black bag. William glared at him suspiciously. A bag! Of course, a burglar would need a bag! Somewhat startled by William's stern, condemnatory expression, the man turned round again. William scowled still more. A guilty conscience, that was what made him turn round like that. He recognized, doubtless, the expression of a detective. Jumbo barked excitedly and wagged his tail. Even Jumbo suspected something. William turned and followed, creeping along in the shadow of the hedge, bent almost double. The man turned round again uneasily. William followed him till he saw him enter a pair of large gates by the roadside and go up to a fair-sized house with large bow windows. William, with pride and determination writ large upon his freckled face, took a piece of chalk from his pocket and made a cross upon the stone gatepost. He had very neatly and almost under the master's eye removed the chalk from his master's desk at school that morning for the purpose. Becoming absorbed in his task, he turned the cross into a spider and then into a shrimp. A few minutes later, inspired now purely by art for art's sake, he was adding a tree and a house when he was roughly and ignominiously ordered off by a passing policeman. With a glance of crushing dignity, he obeyed. If only that policeman knew! That night, William, after retiring for the night, dressed himself completely, donned a dressing gown in lieu of an overcoat, crept downstairs and out of the back door. He released Jumble on his way. Together they crept up the drive to the house. The bow window was open and the room was in darkness. The first thing William wanted to do was to find out what the inside of the house was like. If there were palms... He climbed in by the open window, holding Jumble tightly beneath his dressing gown. He went out of the room and across a hall, past the open doorway of a room in which the man who had been carrying the bag was having dinner. Opposite him was, presumably, the adventurous, a little fatter than the adventurous in the play, and in a black evening dress instead of a red one. Still, you couldn't expect all the adventuresses to look exactly the same, and she was wearing pearls. 
the pearls must be what the man had stolen last night and had been bringing home in his bag william stood in the doorway for a minute taking in the scene then he went down to a room at the end of the passage a glass room palms ha william had learnt all he wanted to know he returned to the other room and out of the bow window that evening mr crumb merchant in the city turned to his wife with a worried frown there's something worrying me old girl he said what is it jim said mrs crumb well said mr crumb throwing away his cigar end have i seemed queer at all lately no said his wife anxiously not as if i might be subject to uh, hallucinations oh no jim well he said it's a strange thing i was coming along the road to-day i suddenly saw a boy i hadn't noticed him before and he seemed suddenly to appear a most peculiar expression most peculiar very intense and searching as if he had some message you know i'm never quite sure that there's nothing in spiritualism well i kept thinking about it as i changed that peculiar piercing expression wondering you know whether it was hallucination or a message or anything you know there was something not ordinary about his expression and he was obviously reaching the climax of the story well you may hardly believe me but this evening as we sat at dinner i looked up and distinctly saw the same boy standing in the doorway and looking at me again with that peculiar expression he wore a strange flowing garment this time i pinched myself and looked round the room and then again at the door and he disappeared yet i swear i saw him with just that extraordinary expression looking at me just for a minute mrs croom open-mouthed laid aside her sewing my dear jim she said how extraordinary i wonder you might try psychoanalysis if the vision comes again it's quite fashionable i hope said mr croom that it won't appear again it wasn't he confessed on the whole a pleasant expression meanwhile william asleep in bed was dreaming of mr and mrs croom handcuffed and dressed from head to foot in red triangles it's chiefly jewelry that's been taken announced mr brown from the local paper the next morning at breakfast ah said william sardonically mrs croom wants us to go to dinner on saturday said mrs brown looking up from the letter who's mrs croom said ethel william's elder sister they're new people up green lane the end house ah snorted william what said william's elder brother is the matter with you you'd like to know wouldn't you said william with a disrespectful contortion of his face just then he went up to his bedroom and putting on his dressing-gown stood scowling into space with his head resting on his hand and his elbow on the mantelpiece in the attitude of the great detective thinking out a clue the bloodhound insisted on spoiling the picture by sitting up to beg that evening mr croom looked very weary when he came home i went to a psychoanalyst he said wearily about that boy you know and he asked me questions for over an hour all about my past life he asked me if i'd ever had a shock connected with boys and i remember that squib that a boy let off just in front of me last november he says that this hallucination may be caused by a subconscious fear. He gave me a lot of other cases of the same kind that he's treating. 
he says that if when i see the boy i try to remember that really he doesn't exist i may get over it i met cousin agatha afterwards she thinks it's a message she wanted me to ask the psychical research society to come down but i think i'll wait till after the dinner party anyway mrs croom clasped her hands oh jim she said it's all very wonderful isn't it william after deep consideration had decided not to take anyone into partnership in the play there had been a faithful and unobtrusive friend of the great detective who had merely asked questions and expressed admiration but william reviewing his circle of friends could not think of anyone who would be content with this role therefore he kept the whole thing to himself he decided to bring off his great coup on the evening of the croom's dinner party he decided to go into the house and hide till the dinner had begun and then go out and collect the stolen jewellery and convict the criminals he expected vaguely to be summoned to buckingham palace to receive the v c after it anyway his family would treat him a bit different just he was in his bedroom wearing his dressing-gown and his faithful bloodhound was worrying the cord of it he was sucking a lead pencil to represent the great detective's pipe he had at an earlier stage experimented upon an actual pipe removed from the greenhouse where the gardener had left it for a moment a very short experience of it had convinced him that a lead pencil would do just as well dusk was already falling when the great detective issued forth a sinister figure with frown lead pencil and dressing-gown on the track of the criminals the villain's house was brightly lit up and he experienced some difficulty in making his way in he made it ultimately through the larder window and was detained for a few minutes by a raspberry cream which was a special weakness of his then leaving the empty plate behind him he gathered his dressing-gown around him and reconnoitred the coast seemed to be clear he crept upstairs and then on all fours along the landing a door opened suddenly and the master of the house in shirt-sleeves appeared full in william's way william returned his gaze unflinchingly the master of the house paled and retired precipitately to his wife's bedroom i've seen it again marie he said what dear the uh, subconscious fear the uh, message you know it was crawling along the passage outside in its curious long garment and it gave me just the same kind of look piercing you know almost hostile i'm beginning to feel rather nervous my dear you've never seen anything of it have you never mr croom wiped the perspiration from his brow i'd better look up some sort of comfortable asylum you know somewhere where the food's good in case i go clean off it suddenly i believe it generally begins by hallucinations you must go away for a change said mrs croom firmly as soon as you can after the upset of this party's over oh yes said mr croom but supposing i see it there when i've gone away i don't know said mrs croom vaguely perhaps they don't travel hallucinations i mean meanwhile the hallucination itself was concealed under the bed of his victim he waited till host and hostess had gone down he heard the sound of effusively polite greetings downstairs how good of you to come 
ha snorted william to a cardboard hat-box that shared his refuge with him just you wait then he crept out and began to look around the room he managed to find some of mr croom's handkerchiefs and was disappointed not to find red triangles on them but he found a horseshoe on one and that was just as likely to be a sign of a criminal gang then he went through the connecting door to mrs croom's bedroom he opened a drawer and saw a leather box there was a key in it but it was not locked he opened it pearls rubies emeralds all the stolen jewelry ah said william he emptied it into the pocket of his dressing-gown he looked round the room again there were some silver boxes and candlesticks william's stern frown deepened ah he said again all stolen things he put them into his pockets the next thing was to try and find some handcuffs somewhere he ought to have thought of that before the party downstairs was going very well the conversation turned on the thefts in the neighbourhood i hear that they've taken a considerable amount of jewellery said mrs brown mrs croom paled jewellery she said jim i believe i forgot to lock my jewel case i believe i just left it in my drawer he rose i'll go and see dear he said he went out of the room at the foot of the stairs was william in a conspiratorial attitude his pockets bulging white to the lips mr croom returned to his festive board i can't go just now dear he said to his wife then he whispered with an air of mystery it's there someone gave a little scream oh is the house haunted well admitted mr croom not without a certain wistful pride it's not exactly the house to be quite precise it's i who am haunted the whole table was agog it's a boy said mr croom i see him everywhere in the road in the house with a piercing expression and curious raiment he looks straight at me as if he meant something a sort of freckled face not friendly i'm afraid i've been psychoanalyzed it's a sort of complex there was a hubbub of excitement is it there now outside the room it was but anyone mightn't see it may we go and see uh, yes i should think so but be careful you know those uh, emanations can be very dangerous a hostile aura you know three or four bold young men opened the door and crept cautiously into the hall there was the sound of a scuffle and a high indignant voice familiar to two at least of the guests the jaws of mr and mrs brown dropped suddenly let go of me take your old hands out of my pocket mind your own business well i'm a detective but i've not got any handcuffs let go of me i've left my bloodhound behind that's not your stuff well it isn't hisn it's stole stuff i've taken it because i'm a detective let go of me i say leave go of my dressing-gown will you i'll call the police i say he's a robber and i bet he's a murderer will you let go of me he's a gang look at his handkerchiefs what do you think of that well will you let go still expostulating william was dragged into the dining-room mr croom covered his face with his hands that's it he said don't bring it too near it's the thief said the young men excitedly look at his pockets full of things leave go of me said william with rising irritability my jewels screamed mrs croom 
mrs brown meeting her son face to face in such circumstances did the only possible thing she fainted dead away and did not recover till the crisis was partially over william frenziedly accused mr croom of theft and murder he referred to handcuffs and bloodhounds he said wildly that he had had the house surrounded by police it took about half an hour to convince him of his mistake how do you know they're their own things they only say so i've seen him walking suspicious with a bag full of something well how do you know he isn't a gang william at the end of the gaily decorated table pale and determined in his dressing-gown gesticulated wildly with his hands full of jewellery mr croom was apologetic and pleading wistfully grateful to william for being real william only gradually and under the influence of a large and indigestible meal which mr croom insisted on giving him in proof of his gratitude forgot his grievances later he found his father less sympathetic later still he surveyed the world scornfully through his bedroom window and thought of his family it was no good trying to do anything with a family the only thing was to cut loose from it altogether mentally he surveyed the past evening everything was different in real life what was the good of being a detective when everybody said the people hadn't done the things real life was stupid he decided to go on the stage there one could be a detective in comfort and everyone didn't say the person hadn't done the things and you'd made a mistake he'd go on the stage Feeling much comforted by this resolve, he got into bed and went to sleep. End of chapter 10